have been in a series called Weep With Me. It's a series on the biblical language of lament. Now, lament not only has an entire book to itself, the book of Lamentations, but there are also a lot of psalms that are about this biblical language of lament. Week one, Randy defined lament as a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Last week, Katie came and she gave us the four different aspects of a lament, right? We, we turn to God, we complain to God, we ask God, and then we trust that God will do what he says he will do. Now this week, I want to stop defining terms and I want to start defining action. Because now that we know and understand what we are doing with lament, it's now time that we need to act on it as well. So if you have your scriptures, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And this is a really familiar story, but I want us to look at it through the lens of lament. And we'll actually see the four different aspects, turn, complain, ask, and trust. And if you, if you look at the entire scripture, you will see those four aspects in almost every story that scripture has for us. And so this morning, we're going to camp out in Luke chapter 5. Starting in verse 17. This is what scripture says. One day, as he, Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Verse 19, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him through on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking. I love how he always knows what they're thinking. It's just awesome. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. So the scene opens up. Jesus is teaching a large crowd in a small house. Pharisees and teachers of the law are there from all over the region to hear Jesus speak. We read that the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick, which is simply us understanding that he has authority. That all authority has now been transferred to Jesus, the Son. In verse 18, some men come carrying a paralytic and they come, they come up to the house and they, they can't find a way in. So they go up onto the roof. As determined as they are, they go up onto the roof and they dig a hole. Now, we're not talking like a little 
ice fishing hole. I mean, this has got to be enough to fit a grown man on his mat down through the ceiling. This is, this is crazy. Jesus sees their faith and gave him the healing that he didn't know he needed when he said, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law started harboring these harmful thoughts about Jesus in their hearts, so he addresses their unbelief by healing the man's physical needs as well. Immediately, the man gets up and he goes home praising God. Our big idea for the morning, where we're going, is this. Our words and our actions need to bring people to Jesus. Our words and our actions need to bring people to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the one. He's not one of. He is the one who brings forgiveness, healing, and unity. And y'all, if, if we have spent any time on social media or watching the news, you know that our world desperately needs forgiveness, healing, and unity. And if, if you've spent any time looking in the mirror or looking at your own heart, we will understand that we need forgiveness, healing, and unity as well. This morning, I want us to pay attention to, to two directions that we can go in order to bring people to Jesus. The first direction that we need to go is we need to show up. I know, it's not, it doesn't rhyme, like it doesn't have a long sentence added to it. It's just simple. We need to show up. We need to show up. Verse 17 and 18, Jesus was teaching to a large packed house, and these men bring their friend to see Jesus. Now, Capernaum was, was only about 1,500 people in size at the time. They're, they're a small fishing village, but, but they're on a major trading route. And they were kind of a vibrant community in Palestine at the time. We have teachers of the law and Pharisees from all over who have come to hear Jesus speak. And these four men come carrying their friend. Now, Capernaum wasn't big, but it was packed. It was packed with people who wanted to hear Jesus and these men, carrying their friend, decided, they made a conscious choice that instead of, when they hear about Jesus, instead of going and getting their seats, they go and they get their friend who needed to see Jesus the most. The only job for a paralyzed man back then was to sit in a well-traveled area and beg. He likely needed to be carried every day to the same place. And it's most likely that, that these four men who have carried him have done that for a long time because they have a relationship. They come carrying this man through the busy streets of Capernaum all to get him before Jesus. These men showed up. And when these men showed up, can you imagine just for a moment, you're on your way to, to go hear Jesus, right? And these four men are going against the grain, going against the crowd, and they show up for their friend. Can you imagine the friend? Can you imagine the paralyzed man for a moment? They come, and they pick him up. Well, that's odd, because normally he stays there all day. They pick him up. Imagine the joy and excitement and anticipation as they tell him where he's going you see, when they picked him up, he was no longer alone in his burdens. See, when they picked him up, he was, he was also being carried with his burdens. The burden of loneliness. The burden of isolation. 
the burden of his disability, the burden of forgottenness, the burden of begging, and the burden of brokenness. Burdens are a lot lighter if we carry them together. Lament has been teaching us that. Has it not? A prayer in pain that leads to trust? Lament has been teaching us that, that, that burdens are a lot lighter when we carry them together. You see, lament acknowledges brokenness. Lament admits pain. Lament identifies hurt. Lament sees burdens. Lament recognizes frustrations. Lament acknowledges fatigue. Lament observes isolation and brings it all back to Jesus. So when we lament for and with others, we are acknowledging the brokenness of the person, the brokenness of the situation, the brokenness of sin, and the brokenness of our world. And we are bringing it all back to the one who forgives, heals, restores, and unifies. See, in order to fully understand the pain of someone else, in order to fully lament for and with someone else, we first have to show up. I like to ask what I think are obvious questions of the scripture. Like, what happens to this man if his friends don't show up? What happens to him? I mean, what, what happens if these men decide to go and get their seats? And then they come back through town and they see their friend laying on the ground and they say, you should have been there, Jesus was there. What happens to this man if his friends don't show up? Nothing Nothing happens. No change in his life at all. Life remains the same for this man if his friends fail to show up. His story remains the same. His daily need remains the same. His burdens remain the same. His life remains the same, all while knowing that Jesus is a few steps away, but those are steps he can't take on his own. He needed his friends to show up He needed them to carry him through the crowds. He needed them to value him so much that they would sacrifice their seats for his. We have people in our lives that need us to show up. We have people in our homes that need us to show up. I'm as guilty of that as anybody else. We have people in our lives that need us to show up so that we can show them Jesus. See, we don't show up because we're the one who comes in and saves the day. We show up because we know the one who does save the day. I think too often we decide to be absent because we feel like we have nothing left to give. Anybody with me? (laughs) You feel like... Every day you have nothing left to give. Our jobs are really stressful. We may not even be in the same job as we were four months ago. And we're working from home. Guess who else is home? Our kids. They're at home learning. We feel like we have nothing left to give because COVID has overstayed its welcome. We feel like we have nothing left to give because the racial injustice in our world continues to grow. 
The stress of everyday life can leave us feeling like we have nothing left to offer, nothing left to give. But here it is. If Jesus has put someone in your life, in your path, or in your way, then just show up and show them Jesus. We don't have to show up and show them our statistics. We don't have to show up and say some scripture. All we have to do is show up and be willing to be used by Christ. Our willingness to be present with others in times of need mirrors the willingness of Jesus being present with us every moment of every day because every moment of the day is our time of need. Now I know you might be thinking, we normally want church to be a place where we can decrease our pain, right? Like I want to come through the door, I want to feel good when I leave. I want church to be a place where we can decrease our pain, but I believe that God wants to increase our capacity. He wants to increase our capacity of hope. If we align ourselves with God's will, he will increase our capacity. He will increase our reliance. He will increase our empathy. He will increase our care for others. He will increase our community. He will increase our desire to listen, learn, grow, and show up. I mean, where would we be if Jesus hadn't shown up? What change would have happened in our lives? What would be different? Nothing. Our words and our actions need to bring people to Jesus. And the first direction that we need to go is we need to simply show up. The second direction we need to go is that we not only need to show up, but we need to speak up. Verses 19 through 26 say that these men are bringing the paralytic man, but they could not find a way into the house. So they decided to use the roof access door slash digging a hole in someone's roof. They lower their friend down to Jesus, and when he sees their faith, it does not say when he sees his faith, the man on the mat, no. It says when he sees his community's faith. When he sees their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now this riled up the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because they knew that only God could forgive sins. So whether they huddled together and spoke quietly about what Jesus was doing or whether they just simply did that in their hearts, Jesus addresses it. When Jesus says, why are you thinking these things in your heart, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk, but that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Jesus does this for two reasons. One, to heal. To heal the man's physical needs. But two, he's also proclaiming who he is and what he has authority over. You see, he's referencing a verse that that these Pharisees and teachers of the law would know. It's found in Deuteronomy 18. It talks about knowing the difference between good prophets and false prophets. Deuteronomy 18.22 says, If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid. Jesus is going, hey, y'all better be afraid because I'm here and I'm real. He's telling them where his authority sits. And if it wasn't for these men speaking up through their actions, their friend would have never been healed spiritually or physically. These men spoke up. 
They advocated for their friend through their actions. They destroyed barriers that sat before them. They didn't bring him to the door and go, hey, man, it's full. We'll just leave you here. Hopefully somebody sees you on the way out. They went to great lengths to make sure that he sat before Jesus. They spoke through what they did. They spoke loud and confident and assertive as they put their friend at the feet of Jesus. You see, lament not only acknowledges pain, but lament refuses to be silent. Lament refuses to remain idle. Lament refuses to remain inactive. Lament refuses to remain quiet. Lament stands with those who are hurting and lament kneels before the Father for those who are hurting. When we lament for and with others, we are choosing to speak up and to speak out to the Father who can then speak to their pain. So what happens when we remain silent? What happens when when we choose to remain silent in the face of someone else's pain, fear, or frustration? You see, when we choose to remain silent, division, pain, and frustration will remain active. When we speak up, we have an opportunity, a divine opportunity to help heal division and heal pain. And to heal frustration. Because we are vocalizing togetherness and unity. Now, I don't know why I thought of this this week. Maybe it was because my dad was going to be here this morning. My dad directed choirs for like 150 years. Um, okay, maybe not that long. It was like 120. But I thought of this analogy this week, and it really resonated with me because I went to so many choir concerts as a kid. And I was in so many choir concerts as a kid. It was awesome. <laughs> I'm going to pay for that. It made me think of this. We have to stop living as soloists and start living as a choir. Amen. You see, when you see a production and that soloist steps forward and grabs the mic with the big pink fuzzy thing on top of it, and they step to the edge of the stage. We know a couple things about them. One, they have prepared. They are ready to go. They have practiced. They are, they are set to go. And they are bold stepping to the edge of a stage. I've had a couple of solos. Didn't go well. But as you step to the front of the stage, you are out there by yourself. And as a well-prepared soloist starts in, we start to see the emotion of the song they, they almost invite us in to see the emotion of the song. But when the choir comes in, it's like goosebumps. When that choir comes in and starts singing behind the soloist, you start to not only see the emotion of the song, but you start to feel the emotion of the song. It starts to overwhelm our heart. Why? Because it's no longer about the one. It's about everyone. We have to stop living as soloists and start living as a choir. Now, there are a lot of reasons why we try and justify silence in the face of someone's pain. There's a list up here on the screen. Fear, right? Maybe, maybe we're afraid that we're going to say something wrong. Uncertainty, we're, we're not quite sure what to say in the face of someone's pain. 
Maybe there's some past wounds where you have tried to speak up before and it didn't go well. Maybe if we're really honest with each other, there's some ignorance that happens where we just don't understand the layered issues that someone is in pain about. Or maybe it's simply selfishness where we simply don't feel like it. See, the list can continue on and on and on. Mine, I most certainly resonate with uncertainty. In times of pain, like, I have lots of scripture memorized. I've prayed lots of prayers for people. But I still sit at the feet of someone in pain, uncertain about what to say. You see, when we are silent about division and about pain and about injustice, we become part of the problem. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Now, I want to pause there. There's more, on the, there's more on the slide, but I think it's important to understand. It's not about things that matter to us, but things that matter to others. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter to us and things that matter to others. In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Now, there's an old saying that silence is golden. But silence is not an option when hurt and pain and injustice rule the day. Because God was not silent in our pain. He sent Jesus. Jesus came to advocate for us the same way these men carrying the paralytic advocated for him. Jesus came to destroy the barriers of sin, which is exactly what these men came doing as they destroyed barriers that sat before them. Jesus went to the cross so that we could go to the Father. Jesus' actions spoke loudly and confident and assertive as he went to the cross, as he experienced the tomb, all so that we could experience the resurrection. Here's the deal. If Jesus has placed someone in your proximity that is hurting, then he has placed you in their proximity for a reason. If Jesus has placed someone in your proximity that is hurting, then he has placed you in their proximity for a reason. And the reason is not to share statistics or scripture or prayer, but it's just to simply show up and speak up. See, our words and our actions need to bring people to Jesus. It's very clear that I don't need to bring people to my own agenda. I don't need to bring people to my way of thinking. I don't need to bring people to the way I vote. I don't need to bring people to my convictions or my beliefs. I simply need to bring people to Jesus. The one and only who brings forgiveness, healing, and unity. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 and 7, Paul tells us what our job is. He does a really good job of explaining what we are to do as Christians. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. You see, it is not our job 
to convict someone else's heart. We can't do that. It's not our job to change someone's heart. We can't do that. It's not our job to change the mindset of someone we disagree with because we can't do that. It is our job to lament for those in pain and to bring them before the feet of Jesus. Lament acknowledges brokenness. Lament refuses to remain silent and idle. Lament seeks God's help. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Randy read this verse for us on week one. I think it's important to bring it back up and define it a little bit. Paul writes, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are Christ's. That's an apostrophe S. That's possessive. We are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. Is what we put on Facebook really helpful for the kingdom of God? Is what we argue with our neighbor about really about the kingdom of God? You see, Paul finishes by saying, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, in order to be Christ's ambassadors, we must push a kingdom agenda, not our own. We must preach the message of the gospel, not the message of ourselves. We must bring people to Jesus, not to our side. As ambassadors, as Christ's ambassadors, we bring the message of Jesus everywhere we go. In every conversation we have and in every action that we do. See, when we show up to show others Jesus, isolation, fear, and frustration become disarmed. When we speak up to show others Jesus, comfort and healing and empathy. Wow, our world needs those comfort. Healing and empathy. They spark relationships that will have us leaving the scene of a crowd to go make sure our friends see Jesus. You see, without the work of his friends, the paralytic man would have never experienced the work of Jesus. They showed up, and they spoke up, and they spoke loud. This week, we have some choices to make. You're like, I know. We actually have about a million choices to make in every given week, but none are more important than the everyday choice to follow Jesus and to follow him first. And I believe that when we make that choice every day, every time our feet step out of bed, every time we step out of our door, every time we get out of our car to go into work, when we make that choice to follow Jesus, I believe that he will lead us to show up for someone. And I believe that he will lead us to speak up for someone. Let's pray.